Thank you for joining us uh, this evening. It's uh, great to have you all out there. Um, really just uh, thankful for this privilege too, to, to be able to connect with you and to share the word with you, uh, spend this time this Sunday evening. Um, I'm gonna just take the time to start off with to thank again all those who are behind the camera, Nick Bear, Pastor Steve, others who are contributing to make us work. Um, you know, even when uh, uh, all of you and then some logged on to the website this morning and uh, went down, things are back up and going. Uh, and that doesn't happen without uh, the work of uh, Nick Bear and, and uh, Pastor Steve. And so just really, really thank them. Um, we're just really, really blessed to have these souls uh, invest and do what they do. So super thankful for them. Um, also, just uh, thankful for the testimonies that I've been able to hear, and I know Pastor Tim echoed this this morning, just of, of what God's doing in your lives. Uh, I feel like, honestly, I've had more communication and more contact with the people at Grace Church this week than other weeks. Uh, it seems to be more intentional, uh, different uh, uh, opportunities that have come up to, to check in and to have uh, you check in on us. Uh, that honestly is very, very humbling when, when we've gotten texts and emails from you asking how, how we're doing uh, and how other people are doing. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to call through uh, a good bit of the list uh, with the our Maturity Matters. I know our pastors were, were doing that as well. And, and just listening to our Maturity Matters people uh, ask about people in the congregation and uh, not only that, relay how they are reaching out to others um, in this time. So just... It's, it's very humbling to see what God is doing through you. Uh, it's also humbling, and, and we're really thankful for the fact that your testimony and our testimony is going out into the community. Uh, so just even within the past 48 hours, received several emails here at Grace uh, for people asking for prayer and asking for counsel. And so we're, we're um, trying to be light when things seem to be getting darker. Um, light from the standpoint of having hope and darker from the standpoint of being able to to provide that hope, looking for hope. So uh, we have an anchor. We have the word of God. We have the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has conquered our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. And so uh, it is a, a blessing. We pray for this opportunity, and I hope that you're doing that as well. So I want to continue to encourage you to do that, to be reaching out to one another. Uh, those of you who are discipling and studying the word, to be able to take advantage of those times that you normally do, if you're able to, uh, to be able to use technology and connect. And, and if you're working through the foundations book and the walk and, and whatever, uh, or studying a passage of scripture, that you can continue to do that. We'd encourage you to, as, as time allows, uh, that, um, that those relationships uh, still maintenancing those is, is so important and yet so much more profitable now as uh, we're, we're experiencing things we've never experienced before. So all of that uncertainty uh, can, can really dovetail into a, a growing and deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior and being able to help others to do the same. So uh, without really any further uh, announcement or ado, please, uh, please keep us in prayer. Keep one another in prayer. Please keep checking our website, all of the uh, live stream opportunities to be able to, to connect for Bible studies for Wednesday evening and, and Sunday morning will be there through the, through the website. So check that out. So thank you again. We're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll look into the word and uh, we'll be blessed by it, Lord willing. So let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege that it is, the freedoms that we have to do what we're doing. 
Lord, we thank you just for the settledness that you provide, that we know that when we carry your burden, your burden is light, uh, your yoke is easy, and that, Lord, those who are weary and heavy laden can call upon you and you will give rest for their souls. So God, I pray that as we look into your word today, that we would experience just that. Those of us who know Christ, Lord God, may we see that, um, that you are very much in control, not just in theory, but practically as well. And God, we pray for those who are connecting uh, from outside our Grace Church family. We're thankful for them and we're thankful for just the, the opportunity to be able to touch lives in a way that perhaps otherwise we wouldn't have. But God, may the word be clear this evening. May uh, your love for them be clear. I pray also that the gospel would be clear, that the fact that God's word is true and that God came to earth as a man and uh, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, yet more than that, he rose from the grave and that he lives and prepares a place for those who are in him and eagerly anticipates the day when we will be united with him. So Lord, thank you for these truths, these realities that um, don't just steady us in good times, but where they steady us um, when we are, are uh, tried and we are strained through life. Lord, we pray for our country at this time. We pray for our citizenry. Lord, I pray that there would be wisdom amongst Christians, but non-Christians alike, that as uh, we have leaders who are doing their best to navigate these uncharted waters, that we would be mindful as Christians of their leadership, that we'd be praying for them, that we would be bringing them before you. Lord, I pray that you might preserve their health, preserve uh, their capacity to do what uh, they have been called uh, by uh, their constituency to do. God, I pray that as we honor uh, Romans 13 and uh, submitting to the higher powers, and as we honor 1 Timothy 2, which is bringing our authorities before you in prayer, then God, we uh, pray that by doing so, we might continue to be light to our uh, neighbors and to our community for Jesus Christ's sake. Lord, we think of those who are serving, who are serving uh, in a way that exposes them to this illness. And I pray that you might protect them. Lord, I pray especially for those uh, who are in, part of our Grace Church family and our extended body of Christ who are, are working in this way. Protect their families. Lord, I pray for their wives and for their children and just the um, uneasiness that, that they experience each time uh, that they come home, their, their spouses uh, that, um, that are, are concerned about what they're doing. Lord, we thank you for the nurses. We thank you for the first responders. We thank you for the doctors. We thank you for uh, all those who, um, Lord, are, are giving really uh, the risk of, of their health for the sake of, of helping others. And I pray that we in our society as having common grace, but Lord, we as a body of Christ might truly appreciate what they do and honor what they recommend. So God, we love you. We thank you again for your word. We thank you for uh, the stability that you give us through your spirit who instructs us in the word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 this evening. Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, we'll be there. And uh, we're going to be looking at, interestingly enough, two miracles of Jesus relating to human health. Um, I didn't make this schedule of what to preach and... Uh, 
honestly, I don't know that we could script this any better than what we have. Um, other than uh, I script this any better in the sense that that what we're going to be reading about today is Jesus, who is the son of man, uh, showing his authority and his power over uh, ailments, over sickness, over death. Uh, the relevance to where we are in society uh, can't be missed. I, I think sometimes you know, God has just this really interesting sense of humor that he allows us to uh, I hear what w not only we need to hear, but he really meets us where we are and, and affirms just the fact that he really does care about every aspect. And we hear of him, we read of him in Matthew 6, caring about uh, flowers and birds and, and knowing hairs on our head. And that sounds really good, but every once in a while you get these opportunities to show that God really does care about the minute details of each one of our lives and knowing what we need to hear and to see. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and actually, as we look at the book of uh, Luke, we see this theme of Jesus being the Son of Man. Uh, Luke uh, was a doctor by profession. He was uh, one who uh, was part of the uh, Paul's evangelistic ministries in Acts. In fact, Luke wrote both Acts and his uh, gospel here. Um, and as he wrote in the, the gospel of Luke, he emphasized Jesus' humanity. Uh, in the early chapters, we are familiar with his testimony of Christ and his birth and the accounts of Zechariah and, and his wife Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist and, and Mary and Joseph. And we're very familiar with the uh, nativity story there. But, but we learn these details of Jesus and his humanity and his birth. We also learn of Jesus' physical lineage uh, through Mary, through David and Abraham and all the way back to Adam. And his physical lineage, we know, stresses his humanity, whereas in Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, emphasizing Jesus as being king, uh, we see his royal lineage uh, back to, to King David. And then at the end of the book of Luke, we, are, we have a detailed account of the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Luke 22 through chapter 24, we read of how Jesus suffered and how he died. But not only that, how he rose again. And uh, his account as an, a doctor uh, is one that is, is certainly uh, evident in his writing. So as we look at Luke chapter 7, I want to kind of get a running start here in verses 46 through 49. This was a passage that, that we looked at last week, but I want to read it going into chapter 7, just a little, a little bit more context and be able to really kind of set a foundation for where we're going. So if you are in Luke, Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, it says this, Jesus is telling, talking to his disciples and to the crowd. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, last week, we looked at this passage and, and we saw the difference between a person who is a hearer of the word versus a person who is a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. 
And the picture that, that Jesus uh, presents here, this illustration, is of houses that have been built. And last week I made the point that a new house looks like a new house, regardless what the foundation is like. However, a new house with a sure foundation will look markedly different than a house that has no sure foundation. And it's really when the storms uh, of life that batter against that house, it's, it's when those events occur that we see the quality of the foundation. And Jesus here is making this point to his disciples and to those who are following him that one must be, if, if you are to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you, can be, you must be more than just an admirer or a, a, uh, a person who hears and, and just listens to God's word. Um, in James chapter 1, he uses the comparison of a person who looks in the mirror and sees his face and then forgets what he looks like afterwards. But the, the one who is a hearer of the word and a doer as well, uh, his lifestyle will be manifesting the fact that he has uh, uh, um, ascribed the truth to his word. He is a fearer of the Lord and he is uh, taking truth and applying it. And so when the storms of life come, the quality of his faith is revealed. Now, in chapter 7 of Mark, we're going to see two tremendous storms of life. We're going to see in verses 1 through 10 uh, a storm of life for a Gentile and having a servant who is very ill. And then in verses 11 through 17, we're going to see another storm of life, and that is the passing of a son, the death of a son. How do these people navigate these storms of life? And what is Jesus and his role in these storms of life? So the first, uh, this first story, uh, this first um, account in verses 1 through 10, uh, I, we're going to read in just a moment. But really what we see is that true faith in Christ means going to him for rescue. In the storms of life, true faith in Christ means going to him for rescue. So if you're there in Mark chapter 7, let's read verses 1 through 10. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So in the storms of life, true faith in Christ means going to him for rescue. Now, how do we see this? Well, in this passage, we see that one who has true faith, which is what Jesus commended the centurion for, one who has true faith will see himself for who he is. We see this especially in verse 
6 and 7, verses 6 and 7, as Jesus was heading his way, heading towards the centurion's house, he sent friends, and the friends relay this message. And they say, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And in verse 7, for this reason, I did not come even to for this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, why not? Why didn't he consider himself worthy? Well, we see a few things. First of all, since he's a centurion, he's a Gentile. And recognizing the Jewish-Gentile distinction, uh, that certainly would have been evident there in Capernaum. This is in Galilee. Capernaum was kind of like a home base for Jesus in much of his ministry. Um, but, but he recognized the significance of that difference. In fact, we even see that in verse 3, where it says, When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to approach him. So rather than be a Gentile and go into a Jewish crowd and make an appeal for a Jewish rabbi, he sent Jewish elders to speak to him. Now, it's interesting how this, uh, this centurion viewed himself in light of how the Jews viewed him. Now, keep in mind, Jews were no friends of Gentiles from a ethnic standpoint. Uh, they viewed them as being unclean. Uh, they, they were not engaged in partnerships or, or, or close relationships. There is a clear distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were not welcome in the temple. Uh, they were not part of the uh, sacrificial system or, or anything like that. And yet it is interesting how the Jews saw this particular centurion. I want to skip back to uh, verse uh, 4 where it says, When these Jewish elders came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. It's like they're vouching for this centurion. They're saying, no, 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 no. It's okay, Jesus. We understand you're Jewish and you're Jew and we're all Jews, but it's okay to visit this centurion, this, this Roman leader who is responsible for overseeing a hundred men, hence centurion. In verse five, it tells us why they were okay with him. Well, they were okay with him because he loves our nation and it was he who built us our synagogue. He's worthy because of what he had done on behalf of these Jews. He loved their nation. So evidently he indentured himself or, or he, he in, in, endeared himself to, to these people. But then also he was a pretty benevolent man where he helped to build their synagogue. And so while we can't be overly critical of these Jewish leadership, we do have to admit that the qualification for someone for Jesus to visit wasn't necessarily internal as much as it was external. It was what he had done and their characteristics. Notice that they didn't say, you know, this man is a very humble man. This man loves his servant dearly. This man is meek. He is a one who fears God. They didn't mention any of those things. And it's interesting, though, that God praises this man not for his uh, benevolence or not for his, um, his willingness to, to uh, fund the synagogue. He, he praised this man for the faith that he had in the word of Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ. He himself was an, it was an authority, yet he saw himself as unworthy. He saw Christ as not owing him anything, even though from a human standpoint, he could have made a case for Jesus to somehow owe him at least the visit. Now, like I said before, 
One who is true faith will see himself for who he is, especially when looking at the person of Jesus Christ. But we also see that one who has true faith will see Christ for who he is. And so the centurion and what he says about Christ's authority is very telling. It says in verse 8, For I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. But notice, and, and I, I really, I meant to, to read the end of verse 7, where it says, Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. The centurion was accustomed to giving voice commands. He was accustomed to having his voice be heard and obeyed. And when the centurion gives this message to Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, I know that your voice will be obeyed. You can do what you want just by saying it. You don't even have to be here to accomplish your will. And so he's pleading for Jesus to come and to visit his home, but he's really asking not for a visit, but for his word. Lord, you don't have to come. Just say it and it will be so. Like I said, the centurion understood the power of spoken word. Those of you who are, are familiar, those of you who have had military background, you understand uh, by personal experience the commands of a superior. He says, jump, you say how high. He says, go, you go. Um, that's part of the chain of command. And that's what they train you to do. The very first levels of uh, your military assignment. The thing about it is, is though, while people can respond to voice obedience, there are some things that don't always respond to voice obedience. For example, like nature. Um, you know, I can tell people where to go, but I can't tell the coronavirus where to go. I can't say, don't go here. Um, I can't tell a person who, whose muscles aren't working properly to, to all of a sudden work properly. And this is why the faith of the centurion is so noteworthy and significant and frankly why it elicited the response of Jesus because the faith of the centurion the centurion recognized that Jesus was more than just someone who would give orders he could command nature he could speak things into existence consider for example uh, one chapter after this uh, in fact pastor tim preached on a similar account where jesus is on a or in a boat or he's walking on water defying the laws of physics and in luke chapter 8 he's sleeping in a boat and uh, is a different account of, of what pastor tim preached on this morning from uh, from the gospel of mark but yet similar outcome where while sleeping on a boat the disciples are afraid and they wake him up fearing that they're going to perish and what does he do he tells the winds and the waves to be still. Can you do that? Can I do that? I mean, this is someone who has a great authority through his word. In fact, that's what the disciples say in verse 25 of Luke 8. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They marveled at something. Yet they had seen it time and time again. And the centurion, this Gentile, 
not part of the Jewish community, understood this all too well. And so this faith that was expressed, recognizing who he was, but recognizing Christ for who he is, really elicited a response that is unique to Jesus' ministry. In fact, we see this in verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. That word marvel means uh, that he was amazed by him. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but again, it points to the theme of, of Mark's, of Mark's uh, letter, of Mark's gospel, and that Jesus was a human, and he had human responses. Even though he knew all things, he knew it was in men's heart, he still could express amazement. Jesus was amazed, and this word for marveling, he was amazed, but also had deep pleasure. He was amazed at the faith and the insight of this man, and he was pleased that he could be an example for those from Israel who were following Jesus. Now, why is this? Because the centurion got Jesus. He understood his authority, and he trusted in his authority. Now, there is one other circumstance where Jesus is amazed, but it's for the opposite reason. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read this passage here. Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> says this, Jesus went out from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages and in the synagogues teachings. That word for wonder in verse 6 is the same word that we find back in Luke chapter 7. Jesus was amazed, but not at his people's belief, not at the belief of, of the people that knew him, that, that understood even his family. No, he was amazed at their unbelief. How is it that you could have a Gentile in Luke 7 understand and have faith? And you can have the Jews from Jesus' own hometown not have faith. And in fact, see some of the same things and hear some of the same things and yet get offended by him. Coming back to the story, the lack of faith is what Jesus brings to their attention. When it says he marveled at him, back in Luke chapter 7 and verse 9, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now, I mentioned before that Jesus here is in Galilee, and in particular, he is in Capernaum. Um, I want us to very briefly look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. In Luke's uh, gospel account, he's careful to follow chronology. Uh, there's actually a, a, a pretty intentional effort for Luke to be able to follow Jesus' ministry chronologically. 
like how the events is, events unfolded from a time standpoint. And so earlier in Jesus' ministry, he was in Capernaum. And in fact, in verse 38, where we'll start reading, we're going to read about this. Then he got up, Jesus got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were uh, coming out of many saying, you are the son of God, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. But notice what happens here. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Mark gives an account of this as well in, in uh, chapter one, where there's uh, many, many people that are healed and they're crowded around his door uh, the next morning. And Jesus is out there praying and Peter goes and says, all these people are here to see you. And, and instead of Jesus going down and healing them again or healing, healing more people, he says, no, I need to leave because I'm here to preach the gospel. But he came back. He came back and healed uh, the person in their midst, uh, the, where, where the uh, individual was uh, uh, lowered down through the roof of the house. That miracle occurred in Capernaum. This centurion, all the way in Luke chapter 7, this miracle happened in Capernaum. This town had seen the power of Jesus' words and actions before, and they were about to see them again. They recognized him to be a man of authority, and they were familiar with his teaching since he spoke in many of their synagogues. However, what is the final outcome? Well, let's look in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would, have they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Why does Jesus say what he says about Capernaum? Well, it's because these cities had seen so much, and they had the pedigree of being God's chosen nation. Capernaum had seen and heard so much of Jesus, and yet his statement after the faith of the, the centurion was so indicting. His statement about not finding faith in Israel. The Gentile demonstrated faith while the Jews did not. So for about 10 years, I was a science teacher. And one of the subjects I, I, I studied um, or one of the subjects I taught was with earth science. And, and I'm actually going somewhere with this it's, uh, to illustrate what I'm getting at. Um, so in earth science, we studied a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things that we studied was hurricanes and tornadoes. And I love to show a video. It was produced by the National Geographic. 
and it showed uh, hurricanes and how hurricanes worked and the hurricane force winds and, and uh, hurricanes of, of the, the, the past. Now, mind you, I was teaching back in the, the early 2000s and I show this video of hurricanes and a fascinating part of this video was, um, was a prediction about what would happen if New Orleans ever got hit by a hurricane. Now, mind you, this video was made, I think, in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And so we watched this uh, video on hurricanes and then the description of the geography of New Orleans and how if a tornado, or I'm sorry, if a hurricane ever came and made landfall in, um, in New Orleans, just how much devastation would take place. And Watching this video with my earth science classes, you know, it was fascinating and, and there were graphics that, you know, describe, you know, that, that would illustrate carts flo uh, cars floating down the streets and, and, you know, water levels rising. And, and sure enough, it was, I believe, 2007 when Hurricane Katrina actually did make landfall. And it was an opportunity uh, for, for me to actually show that video of a prediction of what would happen and then to see it play out in a very sobering way. In fact, the years following Hurricane Katrina, I would show the older video and then I'd show what actually happened with Hurricane Katrina. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, the fact is, is that there was a lot of information available in theory from the standpoint of there's information about what could happen if uh, a, a storm hit and yet a storm had never hit to that degree, but when it did hit, it created a level of de devastation. From a spiritual standpoint, we see Jesus sharing all of who he is, sharing his power, giving them, giving these people uh, of Capernaum, giving his, his nation, teaching about who he is and, and proving who he was by what he did. And yet there was a spiritual blindness and yet it wasn't but a few years later where Jerusalem would be sacked, where you would have, uh, you would have a great devastation take place, um, where, where these Jews who knew so much did nothing with that knowledge and they rejected their Savior and ultimately rejected salvation. It's not that there's a lack of information. It was that there was a, a spiritual blindness on behalf we see that God changes the hearts of individuals, that God causes people to respond in faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're told that, that it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. This, this um, centurion demonstrated a faith, and his works illustrated the faith. And his faith was a testimony, an example to all of those around him. And I think about what faith we hold to and we claim to as Christians and what storms are now coming about and what it is that we claim to believe and what it is that we're going to actually see that we truly do believe. Back on that example of Luke chapter 6, the storms devastate the house with a foundation. But the house with, I'm sorry, without a foundation. But those houses with a foundation stand firm. Those of us who know Christ, that we're doing his word, when we experience the difficulties that come through the trials of life, 
we will find that our faith is secure. We do have an anchor, as the, the hymn goes, that's, that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. We have Jesus Christ and we have the power of his word. And at the time that remains, I, I want to just briefly look at this next story. In verses 11 through 17, we see that in the storms of life, that those who are uh, in true faith, the true faith in Christ means going to him for rescue. But we also see in the storms of life that Christ comes to our rescue, even sometimes when we don't ask for it. In verse 11, we see um, in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain and his disciples were going along with him accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back his mother, back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went all over Judea and in the surrounding district. So if Capernaum was a significant town in Israel, if this was a place where Jesus did much of his ministry, Nain would be uh, the exact opposite. It would be the Palookaville of, of uh, Israel from the standpoint of we know very little about it. It was uh, a pretty small town. It's really known for this particular story and for the cities that, that it was near. But just as Jesus had specific people in mind, in his ministry. Jesus had this specific woman in mind for his next miracle. It wasn't an accident that Jesus led his disciples and the crowd following him right into this town. It was about 25 miles away uh, from Capernaum. And he led these people right into the middle of a funeral procession. He knows everything. He knew the circumstances that he was walking upon. And so in this, we see that while Christ comes to our rescue, even though we don't ask for it, he never lets us suffer beyond what we can bear. You know, we read this story and we're kind of like the omniscient um, a reader. I mean, we know how it ends. We're familiar. We can just read on and see that Jesus raises uh, the son from the dead and, and everyone is ecstatic and they share the news across the land. But we have to put our feet uh, we have to, to, to put ourselves in their place from the standpoint of this was a circumstance that no one really knew what was coming save Jesus, that you had a funeral going on. And if Jesus comes into a procession and he tells a woman, don't weep, unless he's actually going to do something about it, this is really pretty cruel. I mean, imagine someone coming to a funeral, seeing someone who has just lost their child. I mean, there's something fundamentally wrong uh, about um, the loss of a child. Death, we know, uh, visits everyone. It's, it's a common denominator. But when, when parents lose their children, it is a special, extraordinary pain. And for this woman to have lost her husband being a widow and then to lose her child... 
This was an extraordinary pain. And you have this random stranger walk up to her and say, do not weep. She had just lost her son. She had lost her husband. She was now vulnerable and now she was alone. Unless Jesus's word could change the circumstances, unless he was truly God, then this was a cruel, cruel joke. And I want to take just a moment to caution uh, our congregation and to, con- uh, to, to caution those of us who, who have maybe perhaps more time and are doing a bit more exploration as far as spiritual materials go, um, as far as watching television, as far as getting different resources. I, I would just really, really encourage you to use discernment when it comes to the spiritual instruction that you're getting. Um, I I really would caution you, especially against anything that would give any hint of prosperity gospel, of any type of promise where by having faith, you can enjoy God's blessing in the here and now, where you can somehow profit and, and be successful and have health issues go away just by virtue of claiming this promise. Um, it is a cruel, cruel uh, person that would promise something on behalf of God only for it not to deliver. And what we see here with Jesus is not doing that. He sees this woman and as a man, he has compassion. This was something he felt for her and for her situation. And by telling her not to weep, he was preparing her for the joy that would come by receiving her son Back. And so we see that by just simply saying to him, young man, arise. And he arose. Now, looking at the story from, from a, a Jewish standpoint, there's a lot of comparisons between Elijah and the widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. We don't have time to look there, but um, lots of comparisons and points of comparison where uh, meeting a widow at the gate of the city, having a son who... Um, or, or I'm sorry, meeting uh, this, this family, having a son who's passed away, uh, having the prophet uh, Elijah pray over the son and having life restored to him. Jesus speaking to this son, having life restored to him. And so it's not surprising that the Jews respond in verse 16 by saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. They saw God's power because they saw this man, this son of man, speak life where there was no life. The power of God's word was seen in the the, uh, centurion's life by healing the slave, but the power of God's word is seen in raising the dead. I mentioned at the beginning that these two accounts deal with health. They deal with Uh, an enemy that we can't uh, control, that God has numbered our days, that he is very much aware of our time span here on earth. And in light of what's going on in society, a, a priority is placed on health and rightfully so. But our health is not outside of God's scope. Our health is not somehow out of God's control. And when we lose our health, 
or when our health is compromised or brought into danger or, or sometimes worse yet, when those of us who are close to us, children or relatives, loved ones, when their health is compromised, it can be seen as a trial and rightfully so. But it is so, so important to see that the power of God is power over death, the outcome of, of poor health. We know that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when the church was experiencing persecution, when they are experiencing loss, Paul says to them, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or died or who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There were citizens of Capernaum that didn't get healed. There were probably other widows in Galilee who experienced the loss of children. Jesus saw fit to heal some. Jesus saw fit to raise this particular son. But there are some, and maybe even some listening to this tonight, where it may be in God's plan for our health not to recover. And I want you to know, and I want you to take comfort from the fact that that is not the end of the story. That when health can become almost a God, that something is bigger and even more important than our health. And that is God's glory. I praise God for saints like Joe Jackson, who being faced with dire news is still encouraging and being encouraged by God's people, being a testimony, sharing the gospel with his family. It's a testimony of one who understands the reality of Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. If Jesus wants to take away cancer, he can. But if he doesn't, then to God be the glory. He will still, still do great things. And we know the end of the story. We know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says to the Corinthian church, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading 1 Corinthians, I'm reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me turn there real quick. I copied the wrong text, so I want to make sure I get this right. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Our testimony of being doers of the word, being doers of the word in the face of the torments of life, our testimony is the testimony of the power of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be tested. How will you respond to the storms of life? Having seen the power of God so clearly demonstrated here in Luke chapter 7 and in the lives of others and even yours, how will you respond when we face hardship? When the idols of our society, health, wealth, prosperity, when these things become very fragile, will you depend on the power of God? Will you look to Jesus who has promised that with a shout, you will rise from the dead? And you will take on a body that is immortal and you will be forever with the Lord and you will be forever without sin. These are the truths that ground us, that serve as our foundation and that will look like something in our lives. I hope that we can be an encouragement as we study the word and as we pray for one another, an encouragement that is distinct in this time. We will not be governed by fear but that we will trust in the God who came to earth, who lived as a man, and who conquered sin and death. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the end of the story. And thank you for your son who came, who extended the gospel to those outside of his, outside of his nation, and who gave life to those who weren't even necessarily pursuing it. Lord God, thank you so much for this Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, we can't wait to see him. But in the meantime, may we live as if we are going to see him and that we will give an account for how we live. Give peace to our souls through your word, not through circumstances changing, although we do pray that they would. God, we want this disease to go away. We want to be able to live life as we have. We want to be able to worship together. We want to be able to see family and friends have contact with them personally. But in the meantime, Lord God, grow us and ground us so that you might be given glory, so that thanks might be given to you for all that you do and all that you are. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for giving of your time. Um, and uh, we're, we're praying for you. Please uh, keep in mind uh, just our website and uh, the live streams that are available there. You can check, that, check out that information there. We're praying for you. Love you. And Lord willing, we'll see you soon.